this week, our lawful but not uh, expedient topic uh, will be our music choices. Last week and the week before, we were talking topically about that which is lawful but not expedient. The first week, we covered amusements and how we ought to approach amusements. Last week, we um, talked... um, About appearance, thank you. <laughs> it just left me. Uh, we talked about appearance and how um, with our appearance, there are things which are wrong, there are things which are lawful but not expedient, and then there are things which are lawful. And this week we will be talking about music. Now remember, what we're doing is we are looking at um, this from the perspective of that which Paul is presenting in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. That there are things which are lawful, but they are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, he said, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we know that there are things that are wrong. But then we also know that there are things which are not inherently wrong, but are not necessarily beneficial to our lives. And as we live these Christian lives, we need to we need to approach in this way the decisions that we're making. So we'll cover these three questions as we typically do, or these three assertions. First, that there are things that no born-again believer should do. Second, that there are things that you can do, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you always should do something. And then finally, just because you shouldn't do something when we're in in this area of liberty doesn't mean nobody should. So, as we've talked about this, I've encouraged you to think about each decision you make in regard to several questions. The first question, is what I am doing sinful? If it is, well then you have no excuse, you shouldn't be doing it. Second, am I doing what I'm doing in good conscience? According to Romans chapter 14, that is what we need to be doing. We need to be doing the things we're doing in good conscience. If we are doing what we're doing in good conscience, and it is something that does not offend the clear expectations of God's word, then we're doing okay. If, if it does offend our conscience, then it's sin. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. We shouldn't be doing it. And then finally, is this decision expedient? Is it beneficial? Am I operating within the bounds of God's revealed will? How does this decision reflect upon my testimony of Jesus Christ? Is this decision part of a balanced and godly life? All of these things should factor into the decisions that we make in regard to the things in culture. And I'm focusing in on these various aspects of culture so that we can be guided along the path so that I'm not just giving you a bunch of principles, but I'm helping you see how these principles do touch the world in which we live. And recall, we are trying not to either take advantage of our liberty as a liberal, we might say, would do, where he is using his liberty as an occasion to the flesh, nor are we trying to hinder our liberty, as a legalist would do, to where we are not just not doing things that we can do, but then we're judging others for doing the things which are not wrong, but we don't do. We're looking to strike that balance in the Christian life. And when we come to the topic of music, my mother-in-law was here the week I was writing this sermon. And she was... um, sympathizing a little bit with the anguish that I was going through as I was trying to write this sermon. Now, each of these weeks has been exceedingly difficult 
to present these principles in a balanced manner that um, gives you a strong framework, gives you strong context, but doesn't hinder the Holy Spirit's ability to work in your life as He would desire. But music, above all, is the hardest one. See, music is one of the most personal and popular forms of expression. And it's for good reason. Music has the incredible ability to bypass our intellect and drive straight to our emotions. Music is incredibly powerful. And because it is so powerful, because it's one of the most basic human instincts and necessities essential to every culture... Music claims very strong loyalties. Stronger than probably any other loyalty in the entertainment realm. So for me to speak on this topic is to make myself open to your criticism. And perhaps even your anger. I know that. Uh, Many of you may not necessarily agree with what I have to say today. Others may agree entirely or others may be very appreciative. Some may not be. Like other topics I have mentioned thus far, and the ones I'll mention in the future, I intend to approach this topic very balanced. In relation to both amusements and appearance, I avoided specifically pointing out those things that I would consider wrong. I'm not preaching my convictions. I'm preaching biblical principle and how we can take that and and form a framework. I intend to leave you with perspective of biblical principle and allow you to frame your own standards based upon the guiding of the Holy Spirit, your own experiences, your personal weaknesses, your personal temptations, and wise counsel. And I'll do this again today, but as I've mentioned, in the area of music, probably more than any other, um, this will evoke strong emotions and loyalties in your heart. So I encourage you to listen to what I have to say and to compare what I have to say with... um, biblical principle, to reason it out, and to give me the benefit of the doubt this morning as we do so. So as I've done each week, we're going to begin by considering the culture in which we find ourselves, and general or practical lessons that we can learn concerning the topic at hand. These will take the form of observations, they'll take the form of assertions, and then we'll apply the Word of God to these observations and assertions learning how it is that we can be guided by biblical principle into proper decision-making. In some ways, this will be the easiest topic because I think the line is so so strong and so divided and so clear. And I think that um, culture is making it ever easier for us to see where that line is drawn. But in other ways, of course, it will be difficult. And what I'd like each of you to remember as I present this material is that I'm not simply an objective messenger who doesn't care about you as I'm telling you what the Bible says. Sometimes pastors can kind of objectivize themselves where they say, I'm just the messenger, don't kill the messenger, it's coming from the Bible. And that's, I mean, it's true. We we are an objective messenger in many ways. But in these messages, I am your shepherd. A little bit more perhaps even than usual as I'm desiring to help you go down the right path, make the right decisions, I'm doing this with a little bit more of that shepherd's heart. I love each of you. I pray for each of you. And while it's 
my calling by God to deliver the Word of God. It's also my calling to deliver a message carefully, lovingly, and with an eye toward the individual growth of each person under the sound of my voice. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. And what I'm asking you to do is to listen and to learn. Not to agree, but to listen, to learn, to take perspective. I trust and hope that many of you will agree with me this morning. And I pray that we'll all get to a point where in many ways we will be like-minded in these issues. But by God's grace, it will help each of us become what God would have us to be in regard to our music. And other choices as well. And so we're going to consider culture first this morning. And we're going to do it through three elements. We're going to talk about music's influence, music's intent, and music's consequences as they touch culture. There are um, these three general topics that, that we'll, we'll talk about. And so let's begin by talking about music's influence. It's been often asserted, particularly by those in religious communities, that music is amoral. In other words, that music in and of itself has no inherent moral quality outside of the words that are placed in the music. So in other words, music without words is completely neutral. It doesn't matter what it sounds like, it is completely neutral. That it, it's amoral. It cannot evoke emotional response Moral or immoral response in a person. Let me define morality as we get started this morning. As a quality of rightness or wrongness that's based upon the standard of God's character. Morality is a quality of rightness or wrongness based upon God's character or the standard of God's character. So that which conforms itself to the character of God is that which we would consider moral. And that which does not conform itself to the character of God is immoral. Amoral means it has no morality at all. And really there aren't a whole lot of things in life that would fit that category inherently. And so many people claim that, that music is inherently amoral. That it has no moral quality until you define it with some sort of words. For many things in life, judging whether there are moral or immoral characteristics, judging whether something is moral or immoral, is quite easy. The nature of that very thing will tell you whether it's moral or whether it is immoral. But there are many other things in life which are not as easy to discern because it is not their nature inherently that reveals their character as moral or immoral as much as it is their results that reveal their morality. So many things, their nature reveals their morality. Other things, it's not so much their nature as it is their results, the fruit of their nature or character that tells you whether or not something is moral or immoral. Let me illustrate because it's kind of a tough, tough, tough idea. Perhaps it's happened to you before with you or with one of your children or with a friend or a brother or sister happened pretty regularly. Uh, I remember when I was at college, I'd have a roommate or a friend, and that person would start hanging out with a, a person or a group of people. And all of a sudden, they'd start to change. They'd start to act a different way. They'd, um, they would be uh, more rude or more arrogant or, or perhaps the other way around. They would start hanging out with a group and you'd say, you know what? They've completely changed since they've been hanging out with that group. They, they're more polite. They're more respectful. Uh, they're more responsible. 
these things have changed since they've started hanging out with this group of people. Now, perhaps if you've ever confronted someone in the negative sense and said, look, brother, or look, sister, you've started hanging out with that person. And ever since you've started hanging out with them, you've changed. You've been testy. You've been uh, arrogant. You, you have changed for the worse. And they will look at you and say, well, what's wrong with the, that person? And you can't really say that there's anything wrong with them except you've seen the results of them. Have you ever, have you ever seen that happen? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just completely disconnected this morning. Where you can't look at a person and say, I know there's something wrong with them, but you can look at the fruit of the people they hang out with and say, he's influencing them somehow, and I don't know how, and I don't know what's going on, but for some reason, I just, I'm not, you need to stop hanging out with that person. You need to stop spending time with that person. There are things in life that are like that. You can't judge. You look at them and you say, I can't tell you that there's, I can't tell you what's wrong with it. But as I see the fruit of spending time around it or using it or listening to it, I can tell you that there's something wrong. And oftentimes music is that way. It's not inherently the sound that you can pinpoint and say, it's that element of that sound that is inherently wicked. But there is the fruit, the manifestations of certain sounds that as we see how those, those manifestations, the fruit of that sound has, has manifested itself in culture or in a person's life, we can see that the fruit of it is immoral. And we're not talking just about the words. We're talking about the sound, the results of the sound. Now we can debate about various aspects but I think if we were to be honest with ourselves and look at culture, this becomes uh, somewhat obvious. And so when we're dealing with music, oftentimes we can look at the results in the heart and life of those who are being influenced by the music and determine whether it is fostering virtue or wickedness, morality or immorality in the life of that person or that culture or that group of people. So music is influential. It has the ability to touch us in ways that we are not even always able to discern. It has the ability, as we've already mentioned, to bypass intellect and drive directly to emotions. And anything that is emotionally based is able to override discernment, right? May I say that again? Music can drive past intellect and drive to emotion. And anything that can hit your emotion can also override your discernment. Let's illustrate again. Lots of illustrations this morning. Have you ever heard the phrase, love is blind? Love is blind. Have you ever seen that before? That when a person falls in love, they no longer can rightly discern. They can no longer properly discern right and wrong. <laughs> they can no longer, it's like their head just got turned in the opposite direction. They can't see any faults in that person. They can't see any faults in their actions. They are driven and motivated by something higher than reason. Their emotions have overridden their ability to discern properly. And you say, how? They've always had such a good head on their shoulders. Well, it's because emotion has the ability to override discernment. We might see it today. Today's the Super Bowl. There's going to be some pretty emotionally driven people on this day. And some things might happen because of 
uh, high emotions as well as perhaps influence of alcohol and other such things. But, but there may be some things that will happen inherently through someone's emotional state that they would never do otherwise. Because they, their emotions have overridden their discernment. And so oftentimes when you're dealing with a couple in love, you need an objective third party that they're both willing to listen to in order to get anything accomplished. Because life is hunky-dory for the two that are in love. No problems, never going to be a problem. Marriage is going to be great, no problems, no, no conflicts. And then you need a, an objective third party that they both trust to come and, and sit them down and say, look, you both have issues that you need to work through here. And you need to see those things. And you need to start getting beyond the emotional, the emotional blindness of love and start to, to touch on the discernment and reality of the situation a little bit as well. When emotions come into a situation, wisdom, discernment, and even reason can become second-class citizens. And if music does indeed, as I'm claiming, have the ability to bypass the intellect and go straight to the emotions, then if we aren't careful, music can bypass our discernment as well and override it, allowing things into our hearts and minds that we would never otherwise allow to be there. Never. So let's talk a little bit more about this reality of music's ability to influence. Have you ever been watching a movie or a TV show that's had a scary or suspenseful part and you've been on edge? Maybe you've never thought about it before, but what is it about that scene, that moment, that is causing you to be on edge? Certainly, it's that person perhaps the visual of that person going around a corner. But have you ever been on edge just from the scene of a movie where someone is maybe writing and you're, you're watching their back and it's panning in? What is it that's causing you to, to get on edge? It's the music, isn't it? It's the, 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 the tense music. There is a certain set of chords that are being played that is causing your body to tense up. And it's bringing you to a state of tension. And when that tension is relieved, when the music stops or comes to, comes to resolution, then, oh, you can relax again, if that's the kind of movie you're watching, a movie where you actually get to relax again at the, at the end of tension. But it's the music that is causing that tension. It is the music that is bringing you to that place. You can try to relax all you want. Maybe if you've seen the movie before, you can make it happen. But you, you're going to be tense. The music is going to cause a tension. Have you ever been watching a movie and you say, I'm coming to that point, I'm not going to cry. I just, no. And it happens every time, right? You just well up with tears. No, I'm not, it's not, no, I know it's coming. I'm not going to do it this time. And it happens. It's pouring out of you, right? What just happened? That music starts playing. My wife and all of her sisters thus far, those that are married, have all played the same piece of music when they've walked down the aisle. And it's not been the wedding march, whatever it's called. So it's been a distinctive piece of music. And that piece of music is somewhat emotional in and of itself. But then, of course, you connect something to it. And there's going to be great emotions every time that piece of music is heard. But, but these pieces of music inherently have... A, a quality that can bring a person to an emotional state. 
Perhaps you've experienced how music can bring peace. You come home from a long day of work or the kids have been screaming and you just want to go into a room and you turn the music on and you're able to just rest. Music creates atmosphere. It drives emotions. It sets an underlying tone for situations. And why can it do that? Because music is powerful. It's not just idle speculation either, folks. Sports stars listen to certain music before big games. People who exercise listen to certain music in order to get them motivated, to get their heart rate up, to, to, to help them exercise. Many surgeons play music during surgery in order for them to be able to focus. Music is influential. And it's not just reason that can show us this. Scripture shows us this as well. Consider with me Exodus chapter 32. In this passage, Moses and Joshua are on Mount Sinai receiving the law of God. God tells Moses to get down to the people because they have corrupted themselves. And in verse 6, the scriptures tell us that Israel had been offering uh, burnt offerings to a golden calf, had a feast, and had a carnal orgy on that day. As Moses and Joshua descend the mount, Joshua believes he hears the noise of war. Notice what he says in verses 17 and 18 of Exodus 32. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. The wickedness of their actions were being manifest in the noise they were making, and the noise they were making was manifest in their wicked actions. Probably the greatest example in Scripture of music's influence was in the days of King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Bible tells us God tells the prophet Samuel to anoint David king. According to verse 14, on that day, the Spirit of the Lord which had rested upon King Saul in order to empower him to lead the people. This is the Spirit of the Lord for empowerment, not for salvation. But the Spirit of the Lord which had rested upon the king for the empowerment to do his job departed from him. And the Scriptures tell, him, tell us that an evil spirit began to trouble him. Well, this evil spirit was very powerful, very pronounced, so much so that the servants of the king sought to calm his spirit. They said, we need to find some way to calm this evil spirit spirit. And their solution is found in verses 16 and 17. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on, on, on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Well, David was the young man they had found who would come and play his harp whenever the evil spirit troubled Saul. And according to verse 23 of 1 Samuel 16, when the evil spirit was upon Saul, David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. The music had the capability, as David played it, to calm the spirit of Saul in a way that other things were not able to do. Music is influential. So we can open our eyes, look around us, and see that music is influential. Every time we turn on the television, we can start seeing music's influence. When you play that video game, you can see music's influence. Or we can read scriptures 
and see that music is influential. That David played and Saul's spirit was pacified. That certain music was accompanying the wickedness of those who were, were um, worshipping false gods in Israel. We can also see from secular research the influence of music. Let me uh, introduce you to an article from omharmonics.com. You can Google music's power, music's influence, and you can find uh, scientific study after scientific study where the secular world clearly understands the power of music. It enhances exercise. It's a meditation aid. It helps with memory recall. It helps with anxiety. Music is very good, it says, at promoting self-soothing. Have you ever hummed a tune to decrease anxiety or to remain calm under pressure? People are able to perform better when they exercise listening to certain music. People are able to calm themselves when they're listening to music. Further, the second part of this teaching, heightened spiritual experiences. Music has been a part of religious and spiritual traditions since the dawn of mankind. It enhances the feeling of unity with a higher power and many spiritual practices employ rhythmic chanting to create an altered state of consciousness. Improved mood. And at the bottom there it says, music is the universal language. Humans are hardwired to appreciate and need music. So find some music you enjoy. Let the good vibrations stimulate your brain in wonderful ways. Of course, this is from a secular perspective. But look, folks, what I'm trying to tell you is even the secular world understands music's influence. Sometimes it's the Christians that are the hardest to come around to these things. Because we don't want to admit that there are certain things that we shouldn't be doing. Because we like them. And so we'll say, no, music is amoral. Music has no ability to influence. Music has no ability to stimulate so that we can justify listening to music that will stimulate us negatively because we like it. We might fight for that amusement. We might fight for that music. We might fight for those things because they're those things that we want. Even though they really ought not be a part of our lives. And if the secular world is willing to admit the power of music, folks, we shouldn't bury our heads in the sand here. We need to recognize that music is influential. And if music is influential apart from the words being spoken, then we have to understand that the music that is pouring into your ears has the capability of influencing your mind, your heart, and your emotions. And you ought to exercise discernment when it comes to the kind of music you listen to. And that brings us to our second point. As we talked about amusement two weeks ago, and as we talked about uh, appearance last week, we talked about culture's motivation for what they do. Culture's motivation for amusement. Money and distractions. Culture's motivation for appearance in um, pushing a sexual agenda, in making money, in all of the elements of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did you know that music is written for a reason? It's a mode of expression. It's a language. It's a method of teaching. And to many, it's a way of life. But the question is, why did God make music to begin with? God is musical. It's an inherent part of who He is. He didn't even create music. He, he is musical. It's a part of Him. It's a part of His creation. We know that Lucifer is a very musical... Satan is very, very musical... 
Why did God build music into the very fiber of human existence? As with all things that God has created, He did it for the purpose of His glory. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says this, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. As Paul is giving this benediction, he says, everything in life is going to be, is for God and is going to be for God. This is right at the end of Romans 9 through 11, which is a passage of Scripture where Paul is talking about how God has not forsaken Israel. Why did God allow Israel to be blind? Well, Paul explains it's for a time, for a season, so that the Gentiles could come in. And then he starts to give this benediction where he says, all of these things are for the glory of God. We can't always understand why God does everything that He does, but of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God created all things for His glory. And music was created for the inherent purpose of glorifying God and drawing our hearts and minds to Him. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. God created mankind to serve, to honor, and to worship Him. God also created mankind to be inherently musical. You put one and two together, and what you see is then that God created the musical ability of man in order to draw man to God and to give man an expression through which to glorify God. And this brings us to the place where we must understand the nature of true worship. If music is to be an inherent form of worship to God, well then, how must we understand worship? We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. By this, Jesus was teaching a concept found throughout the Scriptures that both the heart of worship and the manner of worship are important. The spirit, the heart of worship, and the truth, the manner of worship, must be right. Worship insists that we come with a true and genuine heart of love, but worship also insists that we come to God in the right way. Or else that worship is in fact false worship and is unacceptable to God. One commentator said it this way. A man worships God in spirit when under the influence of the Holy Ghost, he brings all his affections, appetites, and desires to the throne of God. And he worships in truth when every purpose and passion of his heart and when every act of his religious worship is guided and regulated by the Word of God. I think that's a very apt description of worshiping in spirit, that our affections and our appetites are, are directed toward the throne of God, and in truth, that our actions and our heart are guided by the Word of God. So the question that I ask is this in regard to worship. Is it possible to worship God in spirit without worshiping Him in truth? to have a right heart, but to do it the wrong way. Certainly it is. We talked about Cain this morning. That was our Sunday school. Cain brings the best of his production, the fruit of the ground, to God. He says, God, here you go. And he sacrifices the, the fruit of his farming, of the field, before God. 
and God did not accept his sacrifice. Cain was angry. God says, why are you angry? If you do well, you will be accepted. See, he perhaps came with a heart that was right before God and that he said, here God, you can have, a part, you can have the first fruits of, of everything that I've earned, of everything that I've grown. You, you get it. I, I'm giving it to you out of a love for you. And God says, but you didn't do it the right way. You came to me in spirit, but not in truth. You, you brought an offering before me, but you didn't bring the offering I told you to bring. A lamb. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Abel was accepted because he brought a lamb. Cain was not accepted, not because God discriminated against him or God didn't like him. He was not accepted because he didn't bring the right sacrifice. God says, if you'd have brought the right sacrifice, I would have accepted it too. If you do well, I will accept you. He didn't do well, Cain. Is this not what Israel did when they worshipped the golden calf? You say, no, they were worshipping a false god. Do you know that they called that false god Jehovah? They used the covenant name of God as they were bowing down to that false idol? They were seeking still to worship the God that had brought them out of Egypt, but the only way they knew how to do it was in a pagan manner. The exact contradiction to what God had told them to do. God said in the, in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And they said, yeah, but this is how we know how to worship. So regardless of whether or not God told us not to do it, this is how our expression of worship is going to be toward God. And God will accept me because he knows my heart. Nope. It's not just about God knowing your heart. The heart needs to be right. But we need to come to God his way. It is not that they had no desire to worship God, but they did, they did it, they worshipped God in a manner that was directly opposed to His commands. And so it was unacceptable. Music has purpose. So we see that music has purpose, has intent. And that the original purpose is to draw man's heart toward God. But like everything in creation, when men fell to sin so did every characteristic that man possessed. So while man made men's hands to serve God, men used his hands to oppose God. While God made man's mind to serve God, man used his mind to oppose God. And while God made men's musical nature to glorify God, man uses his musical nature to oppose God. That means when we approach this topic of music, we ought to carefully weigh how our actions are seen in the eyes of God. How what we are listening to is seen to God. Is the music being used in a manner that aligns with God's intent or is it opposed to God's intent? Are we listening to music that is conducive to my spiritual well-being or is it conducive to the anti-God sentiments that are present in each one of us through our flesh? Is it strengthening the flesh or is it strengthening the spirit? I'm not speaking of the words now. I'm speaking of the music. Is it strengthening the flesh or is it strengthening the spirit? And that brings us to our final point under culture. Music's influence, music's intent. Third and finally, music's consequences. The consequences of music. We see that music is capable of influencing you in ways that you may not even understand. We see that music has a purpose and that we, especially as Christians, ought to take careful heed of what, 
purpose the music we are listening to is intending to fulfill. But finally, we must recognize that there are consequences to what we put in our ears. That music has consequences. You know, as a father, I understand that my intentions combined with my influence are a very powerful force in my children's lives. If I intend my children to be tremendous readers, well, not only do I have that intention, but I have the influence or the ability to, as they grow up, cause them to focus on their reading to the extent that they can be truly stellar readers. I mean, unless they have some medical condition like dyslexia or something. Uh, between my intention and my influence, I can really make amazing things happen. Well, we've already established that music has the influence, just like a father has influence. It's kind of inherent that I have influence over my daughters. They're going to look to me. They're going to respect me. They're going to love me. I will be able to sway them. So the question then is, what is my intent as a father? How am I going to sway them? Same with music. We know that music has the power. So the question is, what is that music trying to do? Where is that music trying to take you? Nowhere. Not at all. Not at all. History and reason bear out that certain types of music breed rebellion. History and reason bear out that certain types of music are associated with civility, with calmness, with, with um, those elements of a civilized culture. History and reason bear out that certain types of music foster sensuality. And we're foolish if we think we can listen to anything and everything. Listen to music that has thrown the world into sin without suffering any effects in our own lives. We're blind if we think that we can pour wickedness into our ears and not have that wickedness touch our hearts. I mean, doesn't the entire music, secular music industry today scream of rebellion and sensuality and wickedness? Was not the rock culture of Elvis and the Beatles inherently associated with rebellion? Is not the country music culture unapologetically um, willing to promote drunkenness and immorality and unfaithfulness? Is not rap and hip-hop openly and unapologetically associated with murder and sex and the occult? Is not the current pop culture unapologetically associated with Satanism and sensuality and sexuality? Say, Pastor, are you just taking this just a bit too far here? Well, really, no, I'm not. And I'm going to prove to you in just a few minutes that I'm not. Consider one of the biggest names in the music industry today. His name is Jay-Z. He's married to a lady called Beyonce. Strongly associated with other huge names in the industry and openly satanic. Can I show you some of the shirts from his clothing line? One God, that shirt says. Rokaware, it's his brand. The cross, star of David, the Muslim moon star. All the currencies brought together. And this one world government pursuit is the, the stuff that's not heavily offensive. The next one. It's a skull that has a crown of thorns around his head. It says, in God we trust, on the bottom, with all sorts of satanic symbols around it. And this is the benign stuff. This is the stuff that I'm willing to put up on the screen. 
This man's shirts are satanic. Not just inappropriate, satanic. But it's not just Jay-Z, Beyonce. I don't know if anyone watched the Grammys last Sunday night. I didn't, but I got to read about it a little bit. Have you noticed from maybe the Super Bowl last year, the Super Bowl the year before during the halftime shows, or if you've noticed any of the Grammy Awards over the past several years, that they're really doing satanic worship in the middle of these services, in the middle of these, of these song um, concerts, that's what they're called. Grammys, last week, last Sunday night, Beyonce and Jay-Z, this couple, started with a performance on the next slide, the headline, Beyonce and Jay-Z opened Grammys with a steamy, drunk-in-love performance. It was, it was softcore pornography. That's really all it was. Why is an industry like this? It wasn't just them, though. You say, well, maybe it's just them. Katy Perry, pretty mainstream pop artist today. Later on in this Grammy performance. Maybe you read a little about Katy Perry's performance this week. She, she hit some headlines. She put on a Templar cross, which is a typical occultic sign. She danced around a witch's broom while men with demon horns attached to their heads danced around her in a ring of fire as she sang her song. The next slide will show you a, a basic picture of that. But she didn't just do it alone. I know it's kind of washed out. I apologize. Uh, you don't want to get any closer to what was going on that night. Um, but she didn't sing it alone. She sang it with a man named Juicy J. And he's from a group on the next slide called the Three Six Mafia. Three Sixes. What's that? Six, Six, Six. This is the name of their group, the Three Six Mafia. And he was up there with Katy Perry singing this song. They're not even disguising it, folks. The music industry is not... I mean, this is a mainstream pop artist. We're not talking about Marilyn, uh, um, Marilyn Manson anymore. We're not talking about those people that dress all in black with crazy makeup and, you know, tear off bat heads and stuff during their, their song. We're not talking about that. We're talking about mainstream. The stuff that kids are listening to. The stuff that, that people with the kids in, in, in this room, that this age, kids are listening to. Katy Perry. Justin Bieber. Selena Gomez. These are the people that are, that are caught up in this stuff. The satanic symbolism was so thick in this Grammys that this is what Entertainment Online tweeted. Um, did we just witness actual witchcraft during Katy Perry's Grammy performance? A secular news magazine said this in the middle of the performance last week. Secular. This happened last year at the Super Bowl concert with Rihanna. Happened the year before with Madonna. They've got satanic symbols all over the place. Upside-down crosses that they're wearing for earrings. Madonna came to the Grammys with a cross turned sideways, extremely symbolic as her tie pin. Folks, this is not rocket science to see where the music industry is. And then to top it all off, you know what they did at the end of the Grammys? This is the Grammys. It's a music award ceremony. The next slide. Grammys to feature mass wedding during Macklemore set. A wicked man sang a song while Queen Latifah presided over this homosexual marriage ceremony of 33 couples. 
That is the music industry today. Prostitution, sexuality, homosexual marriage, and occultic worship. That's the music industry. These folks are prophets of Satan. And they're not even hiding it. This was last Sunday night at the Grammys. Every single one of these was last Sunday night at the Grammys. National television. Folks, we're crazy if we don't recognize that the music industry has gone a certain direction. <laughs> we're crazy if we don't. Say, but what about Christian music, Pastor? Contemporary sounds placed with Christian words to create music that appeals to the modern ear but has the same sound as the world. Let me ask you, is there anything that can be taken from the world's methods and used for God's glory? Is there anything in worldly sounds that can foster anything other than the flesh? Is it not just tearing at itself to have Christian words with a worldly sound trying to mingle themselves into the same song? Can it be anything other than false worship? Perhaps it's worship in spirit, but can it be worship in truth? You know, Katy Perry began as a Christian singer. Don't know if you knew that. Are we not simply bringing the world into the church when we bring the world's sound, the music, which we have already said is influential? So we've seen the influence. What's the intent? Can we not see the direction the music industry has gone? Can we not see where this stuff is taking them? Do we want to go there too? We don't. We can't. We can't go there and maintain biblical distinctives. So as we apply, we come back to our main points. There are things no born-again believer should do. I come back to the secular music industry. The stuff that you saw, the headlines you saw, should convince you that, that you should not be going anywhere near the secular music industry. The fruit of that industry is wickedness. You really shouldn't be going there. You take a one look at, in the past five to ten years, what pop women have worn on stage during their concerts, and you should see that that's a direction you don't want to go. You don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to be giving money to it. You don't want to be giving time to it. And you certainly don't want that coming into your ears, bypassing your discernment, and hitting your heart. You may not agree with me, but I don't feel that there's very much more I need to say about it except to give you 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world. If any man love the world, excuse me, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Is that not the fruit of the secular music industry? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? It is. Second, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I'd like us to spend time particularly on this point. Music, apart from words, has influence. Whether we want it to or not, it does. And just like amusements or just like appearance, there are plenty of songs and there are plenty of artists which can be listened to without inherently filling our hearts and our minds with wickedness. There are plenty of secular songs that can be listened to that don't formulate the characteristics of worldliness that I've spoken against today. There are. It can be done. 
And there's plenty of Christian music that we would call contemporary Christian music that is not inherently wrong in its sound, inherently wrong in its words, and it is not inherently wrong. But I do remind you of 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, that all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. As your pastor, I would encourage you to make a habit of filling your minds with music and words that are God-honoring and spiritually edifying. Now, at Legacy Baptist Church, we sing, have a tendency at least, to sing sacred hymns. This is the worship context which we have chosen for our services for various reasons. I by no means believe, and I do not believe that you could ever justify scripturally that sacred hymns are the only music that is God-honoring. I don't think that that is biblically justifiable or anything of the sort. It's what we do in church for various reasons, but it's not necessarily what you need to do on a daily basis. But may I encourage you to listen to music that, according to your discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit, is God-honoring both in sound and in words. I have numerous resources I can point you to if you want to know how you can get good music. There are lots of good sources out there. And I can point you to several of them if you ever want to ask me about it. We also, in our About Legacy course, for those that um, are taking the course to understand more about our church and what we believe, we have a lesson on music, and I would encourage you at some point to take that course and to, to learn the lessons that we give from that course. But let me just give you a few tips regarding your choice of God-honoring music. As with all things... Your music choice should align with God. It should be orderly, it should be balanced, it should be decent, it should be structured. If there are words, they ought never to be crude or derisive or inappropriate or immoral or angry or sacrilegious. Because if you don't want it in your mind and you don't want it in your mouth, don't put it into your ears because it's going to get into your heart. Christian music ought to be reverential, it ought to be humble, it ought to be doctrinally accurate. That doesn't mean it needs to be boring or joyless, but rather it needs to be befitting the glory of an omnipotent God. So if you find yourself in need of guidance, by all means come see me, and I can perhaps help you out with that a little bit. My wife and I have found some pretty good artists, we believe. Maybe you found some that I have not. We can help each other, point each other in the right direction. It's getting harder today to find good godly music, but it's out there. There's plenty of people still making it. So just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Remember that it shouldn't just be lawful. It should be beneficial as well. While you can listen to music that's lawful without being beneficial, as many secular songs are, I would encourage you to make the bulk of your listening that which is both lawful and edifying, beneficial to your heart and to your spirit. And then third and finally, just because you shouldn't do something doesn't mean no one should do it. Just because you shouldn't do something doesn't mean no one should do it. There is room for different stylistic preferences in the choices that we make in regard to music. There is room for different genre preferences in the choices that we make in regard to music. I do not give this message so that our church can conduct a musically motivated witch hunt. We're growing together. We're learning together. We all have work that needs to be done on our hearts and lives. Through time, it is my prayer that our church will continue to form a like-mindedness that will guide our every decision, including music. But we need to be gracious. We need to be patient. We need to have understanding. Just because you would not listen to a certain song, this does not inherently 
mean that another Christian is wrong in doing so, though it may be possible or may be the, the case. It may be something where you need to say, hey, no Christian has any business listening to that. Or maybe something where there's a little bit of, of, of wiggle room. Let me give you an example. I went to a college down south. Southern gospel music doesn't really appeal to me much. Never been a big fan of the banjo. Never been a big fan of the xylophone. We got a lot of banjo. We got a lot of xylophone. I didn't think their music was sinful. But it wasn't for me. It's still not for me. I don't think it'll ever be for me. They had a different style down there. A lot of southern churches have a very different style of worship. Now, can they cross a line? Yes, I believe they can. Are they flirting more with a line? Yes, I believe they are sometimes in that genre. But it's not inherently wrong. But it's not for me. We sing sacred hymns here. They may not do much for you, but you know what? The words are very good. The music is godly. The words are doctrinally accurate. And they will draw your heart in the right direction. So I wouldn't encourage you to spurn it. But I'm not, I'm not recommending that you go home and turn on your sacred hymns and listen to it all day. If you like that, great. Do it. But there's, there's room here is what I'm saying. There is. As we close today, I want to direct you to a verse that should without fail always be on your mind when you think of any choice you make including the music you listen to. You know it. We all know it. We could probably quote it by heart. Remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember that songs are going into that temple. And remember 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. When you turn on that radio, know that you ought to be doing it to the glory of God. When you put on those headphones or put in those earbuds, Know that you ought to be doing it to the glory of God. Just as when you're sitting in front of the television or in front of the computer or looking at the closet to know what you're going to wear for that day, it should all be done with a mind toward how am I glorifying God? Let me reiterate the questions from this morning. Is what I'm doing sinful? If it is, get rid of it. Am I doing what I'm doing in good conscience? If you are not, get rid of it. If you are, is the decision expedient? Are you operating within the bounds of God's revealed will? Is the decision reflecting properly upon your Christian testimony? Is the decision a balanced part of a godly life? These are the questions that must be answered. And may I encourage you, in this realm of music, as with every other realm of your life, to take inventory this morning. To take inventory of the direction that you're going. Of what you've been allowing into your heart and into your mind through your ears. In order that we can be God's people. That are not being conflicted. Pulled to God one day only to be pulled away from God another. Drawn to God in the morning when we read our Bibles and pray. Only to be slowly nudged away from Him by the music we're putting into our ears all day encouraged in our spirits to do what is right in the mornings when we spend our time with God, only to be encouraged in our flesh and fed in our flesh as we listen to the radio throughout the day. May God help us to be balanced Christians, God-honoring in every aspect of our lives, and to be very careful, particularly in this area of music. Let's pray.